0: Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. It's good to be back in the pulpit again and uh, bringing you the Word this morning. And I want to thank Pastor Frank and Pastor Stan for covering the pulpit the last couple Sundays. I hope you enjoy their messages. Uh, We're in this series... um, it's it's a series developed by the folks at the Bible Project and I want to say a quick word about the series before we get too far into it. This series is not a deep dive into one particular passage of the Bible, but it's exploring some of the biggest themes and ideas that scripture covers. And you can't really get some of these ideas just by looking at one text, but they are woven throughout the fabric of the Bible. And so because they're such big themes, we can't really do justice to any of these topics in a single sermon. But the the videos that they've produced and the reflections and readings they put together are very, very helpful. And I really do believe that if you pour yourself into this, if you lean into these videos and other resources we send out every week, if you use them even in small groups for discussion, your growth in your faith, your understanding of, of Scripture and of God and of our faith is going to really grow over the course of this series. So I'd encourage you, when you see those emails come out with the links to the videos and all that, lean in and do your best to engage fully with that material. Now, in the event that you are unable um, to make time to watch the video during the week, we've decided to show the video each Sunday as well. But uh, I really encourage you not to wait until Sunday morning to look at that video but, but do your best to think about it, reflect on it, ask questions of yourself um, before you come to the Sunday morning. This morning we're going to look at this big idea of the image of God, and I, th- I think that the video does a great job of introducing us to this idea. Um, so I want to key in on a couple important things, some implications of this idea of the image of God. You know, I've always loved this photo that I took back in... Uh, September of 2007, so like 13 years ago. I I just happened to be walking past my dining room um, window, and the light was just perfect coming in through the sheer curtain we had hanging there. And so it was almost like studio lighting. I called my four kids over. They were pretty young at the time. It was 13 years ago. And I I had them arrange themselves in a a formation, and I tried to snap a picture. And when you have young kids, it's really hard To get all of them to look at the camera but this particular moment i really feel like it was a gift from god he captured each of them in their natural unguarded personality Uh, and i saw in that photo and in that moment the subtle difference between each kid and something unique and beautiful about each of them Uh, i love that photo because it shows me how even though they came from the same parents each of them is their own person. There's a uniqueness. And yet, I will also admit that one of the joys of being a parent, whether your children are yours biologically or by adoption, one of the great joys of being a parent is seeing the way that the, the best that is in you is transmitted to your children. And the best in us is not always biological. So often it is something so mysterious about like our, our our hearts or our personalities or quirk of the way we're put together. Uh, Sometimes the things that our kids inherit from us are not so flattering to us, uh, and that's also pretty uh, uh, challenging and humbling when we see that. But it's a real joy when you see the very best of your virtues and qualities somehow show up in the lives of your kids. From the very start of the Bible, one of the things that sets human beings apart from all the rest of creation is that it says God made us in His image. That, that's a statement that is made of human beings alone in all of creation. And as I said before, the Bible Project video did a great job of introducing us to the large, big picture of that idea. I'm going to zero in this morning on two important implications of that. And the first is this idea of the image of God in us as a part of our nature. When you look at Genesis one twenty-seven. Here's how the NIV has it. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And that's really just a simple way of saying that when God made human beings, He transmitted or embedded in us some essential element of who He is, something in His nature was imparted to us as human beings. It's a, maybe a resemblance, a fundamental resemblance to God. And because God is spirit, we can't look for that resemblance in physical likeness. But something about the very essence of God and His nature was given to us, imparted. Maybe what that image is, is in, in one way, a capacity to be like Him. A capacity that no other living creature has, the way that we do as human beings. Eugene Peterson, who wrote a paraphrase translation of the Bible called *The Message*, you may be familiar with it. I've read from it or quoted from it a number of times. Um, he renders Genesis chapter one verse twenty-seven this way. He says it much more directly. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. That's pretty direct. I'm not always comfortable with this idea that we're made God-like, because I think that sounds almost idolatrous. But the point is that we reflect God's nature. There is something in us that looks or resembles something fundamental about God. In Genesis 2.7, we see something further here. It says, "...then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground," And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. See, when you read Genesis 1, all the other creatures in creation were made by God simply by speaking a word. But when it came to human beings, he took a much more intimate and personal approach. He fashioned human beings out of the dirt of the ground, and then in the most intimate gesture, he breathed life into the nostrils of that man. Now, I don't think we have to take that exactly literally to see the importance and the, the significance of what that says. It says that with us, He did it differently. With human beings, out of all the creature, creatures in, in creation, He put His hands to the work directly. He didn't just speak it, but He fashioned us in the most personal and intimate way. And something about that breath of God transferred to us, the way that He chose to make us, uh, it's it's this idea that that image of God in us confers to every human being some level of worth and dignity because God made us with such love. If you read Psalm 139, it, it speaks of how God lovingly knits every human being in their mother's womb Stitch by stitch, cell by cell, we're not just things that evolve naturally through the course of biology, but we are made, we are lovingly fashioned and created by God who wants us to be alive. It's another way of saying that God made us in a way that we belong to Him. We're not just children, we're His children. And, and let, let's face it, like I, I like kids in general. I delight over most children, but my kids still occupy a very different category in my heart. And if it comes down to your kid or my kid, I'm sorry, but there's no contest. There's something so deep about the belonging that they're my kids, and that's the way God feels about human beings. Now, admittedly, much of that image that God put in us of Himself has been fractured by sin. And because of that, we do things that are ugly and destructive and, if we're honest, deserving of scorn and judgment. Not just from God, but even from the other people around us. We do things that are worthy of criticism and judgment and scorn. And yet, even then, we still remain image bearers of God. Something of the image of God still remains in us even when we bear that image in a stained or fractured way. And that has implications for the way, then, that we treat one another. John Calvin, one of the famous reformers uh, in the uh, 16th century, wrote this in this book called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. He said, We are not to look to what men in themselves deserve, but to attend to the image of God which exists in all, and to which we owe all honor and and love. I'm going to give you a second while that's on the screen to just look at that and read it one more time and think it through. What he's saying, in simple terms, is that we treat one another not simply on the basis of what their actions deserve, but we treat other people on the basis of the fact that even at their worst, they remain bearers of the image of God. People who God loves, even if they are so unlovable. It says more about God than about that person, the fact that God still loves them. And is it really that much of a mystery that He could love them that way? Because many of us, at our ugliest, were still loved by someone. And when our children are very ugly, we can't stop loving them. And so, when we look at another person who is acting in such an ugly way, and the temptation is to treat them exactly as their actions deserve, what John Calvin is pointing out rightly, and it's biblical, is that we don't look at that person simply on the basis of their actions, but look at them as bearers of the image of a God who we honor. Maybe an analogy. Will help you understand this. If one of my kids came into your life and acted just atrociously, very rudely, horribly, and you're so tempted to just go off on them, I would still hope, as their father, that you would treat my children graciously and kindly, better than their actions deserve. And if not because they deserve that kindness, it's because you have some regard for me and the fact that they belong to me even if they are putting you off in such a strong way. And if that's the way God wants us to treat other people, we have to also remember, it begins with the way we look at ourselves and treat ourselves. That grace that we give when people are acting in the fractured image of God, we have to give even to ourselves. On the worst day, when you have failed miserably and you are tempted to loathe yourself, even on that day, you are a bearer of the image of God. His love still remains on you. The capacity to become more like Him still remains in you. It's in your your, your essence, your core, just like DNA remains deep in us. The image of God is still in you, even on the worst day of your life. And That capacity to become more like God is something God wants to stoke back into life. And so when you're tempted to treat yourself as your failures and actions deserve, give yourself grace. If you can't honor yourself, honor the image of God in you as a way of honoring God. Believe that God has put better in you than you've drawn out of yourself. And as you learn to do that for yourself, make it your habit to treat other people in exactly the same way. That starts at home. We learn that with our families, but it extends into the way we treat our coworkers, and our neighbors and even the stranger on the street. Let me give you a second implication of this idea of the image of God, because the image of God is such a rich idea in the, in the scriptures uh, that in one sense it does speak to our nature and how we inherit something of God's nature in us, but it speaks to another thing, and this is what you, theologians might call the functional aspect of the image of God. As image bearers of God we also share in God's purpose and work in creation. Genesis 126 says this. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, and listen, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and over and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground that's an important verse because the image of god in this case isn't just a resemblance to god but it is an authorization of us as god's image bearers to carry that image into the world by doing the work that he does over creation and the way he says it is he wants us to rule over creation with him I think much in the the way that, uh, back in the old days, when you had like a Johnson & Sons plumbing company or something, and a a father might build a business over the course of his life, and his dream was that his children would grow up one day to be plumbers as well, and then they would inherit the business. And so you would call it Johnson & Sons. Until that happens, it's just Johnson plumbing. And then when the sons join the the, the work, it becomes Johnson & Sons. Now, that's not something that typically happens anymore, because everyone charts their own course. But I think God would love it if those who bore his image joined him in his family business, of ruling over creation in a way that that authority brings flourishing to life. What is God's work in creation? Because he says the image of God in this case isn't a resemblance, but it is a tapping of us to say, because you bear my image, you can carry me into the world every time you join me in this work. And the work that God was doing at that time in creation was He was bringing life out of void, where there was nothing, darkness, emptiness. He filled it with life and beauty, and then He set up a system using His authority and wisdom so that that life now created could flourish fully. That's what it means to rule over the world with God. It's not to sit in a throne having the best of treatment, and ordering other people around. That is not at all the biblical sense of ruling, but it is to use every resource, every insight, every bit of wit that we have, and every resource at our disposal. All the authority and power we've been, we've been given to use all those things to create life and beauty out of void and then to make that life flourish in any way that we can. When we join God in this kind of benevolent rule over the world, we bring His image, we bear it, into the world. We fill the world with likenesses of Him, and we also show people what God is like through the way that we live. We point people toward the One whose image we bear. One of the great losses of the fall when when humanity sinned is that we rejected this great invitation to join God in His family business. And as a result, we begin to live just for ourselves. We seek benefit only for me and for mine. And often the result of that is very destructive. Instead of bringing life into the world, we often bring chaos and emptiness back in to where there was life. Often, we not only fail to carry God's image, but we ourselves, through the way that we've chosen to live, become the obstacle that blocks the view of God. So that rather than being image bearers, we become image blockers. And we're the reason so many people often can't see God clearly. I've talked to many unbelievers whose first complaint is, the reason I can't really see God clearly is so often the hypocrisy of the church, the failings of the church have gotten in the way. Now, that's probably too ungenerous an indictment of the Church, because I I do believe that the people of God do a great amount of good. But I think we need to really pay attention to this. It's not just what we do in the religious sphere, but the way that we conduct ourselves every day in our lives carries the image of God into the world. We don't just carry God into the world through our religious actions and our our speech or the way that we build religious organizations, but the everyday work of our hands, whether it's at home, in a neighborhood, at a school, or at a company, when we bring flourishing into the world, when we create something that brings life and beauty out of void and chaos, we join God in his family business we bear his image in the world do you bring flourishing into the lives of those around you your family your friends your neighbors your coworkers your bosses your customers your congregation we act as god's image in this world even in the simplest acts of goodness and kindness this morning I came across one, epi- one example of this on Instagram. I was just scrolling through my Instagram feed and I came across Aram's post. And Jacob and Aram's daughters, Joyful and Gracie, have started a campaign where they're making rainbow loom bracelets and selling them for $5 each, and 100% of the proceeds are going to benefit sick children at Advocate Children's Hospital in Park Ridge. I I was so moved when I saw that because, um, especially when I asked Aram about it, she said it was their idea. It was Joyful's idea. She felt inspired to do this on her own. And when I see something like that, I realize that even though that's not an overtly religious act, that simple act of goodness and love brings flourishing into the world. It adds something that pictures God and the way that He wants to order Life in the world. It doesn't take a big act to join God in His right rulership over all of creation. And if we take this seriously, it'll affect the way that we live in big and small ways. Maybe at a more personal level in our relationships, it'll challenge the way that we parent. Because so often, Uh, And we begin this way out of being loving parents, but so often we get so mindlessly devoted to helping our children become successful that we forget to help them become flourishing human beings. Sometimes we get so fixated on them getting an advantage in life or or getting ahead of others that we leave them completely wrecked and devoid of life and beauty, even if they have all the things the world say they want. And so maybe the great shift for us is not just to help our kids succeed or to prosper, but to flourish in this world and to become people who then also help others to flourish. Maybe it helps us, it challenges us in the way that we do friendship so that we stop seeing our friends simply as companions for having a good time. People to laugh at our jokes or to share a drink, but we start to see them also as people into whose lives God is sending us to use every resource at our disposal to help their lives flourish. Maybe we are then God's gift to our friends. I think when it comes to work, if we take the image of God, this call to join God in ruling over creation, seriously, for some of us, it's going to, to um, cause us to reevaluate what our work is. Some of us will look at what we do for a living and realize while it's been lucrative and satisfying, maybe we, we say, I don't think this can actually be my life's entire summary work. It doesn't bring enough into the world of the life and beauty that I believe God wants me to carry into the world. Now, that's not for most people. It's a rare case where that happens. But I know some Christians who have taken this idea seriously and have shifted careers even late in their lives because they want so desperately to bring more flourishing into the lives around them and into their own life. Maybe what it will challenge is not what you do, but how you do what you do for a living. Maybe it will change the motives and the values that drive your work. Maybe it will change how you interact with others. I just heard a podcast this week um, about a woman named Sherry Deutschman. Her story is a very rags-to-riches story. She came from nothing. And somehow through hard work and ingenuity, she became the CEO of a company called Letter Logic. And at the height of their success, she did something radical. She decided to start a profit-sharing program with her employees where every month she took 10% of their net profits, reported it openly to the entire employee base, and said to them, this month, 10% of our net profits will be divided equally among every single employee. And they began to do this every single month so that the CFO and the custodian got the exact same share of the profits. And what that did, the CFO clearly did not need that money. Some months it would just come down to like a, a few hundred dollars. But for, for the people on the lower end of that spectrum, it made a huge difference, not just financially, but in terms of their sense of dignity and morale. It began to draw out of them more than what was there. They began to take pride in their work and feel a sense of loyalty and connection to the enterprise. And that simple act of giving away this kind of money and doing something so countercultural and radical, she used her authority to really bless others and cause flourishing life for her entire staff. It's a reminder that we don't just um, bear God's image in the world as humble servants, but so often we do it as righteous leaders. When God gives you a platform of influence, of leadership, of power. One of the greatest ways to bear God's image is to use all of that to bring life and beauty and flourishing into the world that God loves. Sometimes it will be directly religious. Other times it will just help people experience the fullness of life. And in both cases, God is glorified and His image is clearer and easier to see for a watching world. I want to invite you, Harvest, to take seriously this crazy idea that the image of God lives in each of us. And because He fashioned each of us so lovingly and intimately, we treat ourselves and one another not on the basis of what our actions deserve, but because we honor God and we recognize that in every person who's hurting us or offending us, still there remains in them the image of God. So I challenge you to begin with yourself. Give yourself grace. Cling to the image of God that is still there, embedded inside of you. And ask God to draw that out of you. Make you more like Him each day. Don't give up. And make it your commitment to treat other people the same way. And then I invite you to think seriously about the way you live every day. Not just when you're serving at church or doing ministry, but every day, just the work of your hands the conduct in your own family, in your own home. And think about how you use all the resources, influence, power that God has entrusted to you to rule with Him righteously over creation, wrestling life and beauty out of darkness and void, and causing everyone around you to flourish along with you. When we do that, the image of God becomes so much easier to see in this world. Praise team is going to lead us in a closing song now, and I'm going to invite you to just use that song as a prayer and as a response to God. And when we're done singing, I'm going to come back and and dismiss us with a word of blessing. Harvest Community Church, receive the good news that each human being on this planet bears the image of God. And while in many of us that image is marred and fractured by sin, nonetheless it remains in us the capacity to become more like God, to resemble Him. Begin with yourself and give grace beyond what people's actions deserve. Know that God does want to make you more and more like Him every day and that it is possible for that to happen. And take seriously the work of your hands in every setting of your life. Because whenever we rule righteously over the world, we join God in His work of life flourishing through our work. We bring Him into the world. We carry His image and make Him visible. May this be the way that we live, the joy and and knowledge that we treasure in our hearts, now and forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, be blessed. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.